1: Hello, I can't believe we're already at episode six of our very first podcast series. We hope you found it super interesting and useful so far. Today, we are talking about Sync. If you are wondering how Sync worked before, you will be thoroughly clued up after listening to this episode. This is an in-depth and passionate conversation with Chi-Chi and Miranda from Sony Music Publishing. Together, they make up the two sides of Sync, creative and licensing. So we thought it would be perfect to have them on the podcast together. Both of them share how their roles differ yet work together. We also cover the differences between working in sync as a publisher like Sony Music Publishing and music supervision at an agency or in-house. Now, since we recorded this podcast episode, Sony ATV has renamed itself to Sony Music Publishing. So whenever we are referring to Sony ATV, we are talking about the new Sony Music Publishing. Sony music's publishing arm if you enjoy this episode don't forget to like subscribe and leave us a comment thank you so much for coming on the podcast this afternoon chichi and miranda how are you both doing today
2: really well thanks thank you for having us Really good, yeah. Happy to be here.
1: We're happy to have you here too. So to warm up, we like to start with a couple of short questions. First up, what is the most memorable gig you've ever been to?
3: Mine, without a doubt, was Led Zeppelin at the O2 for the Amit Ertegun tribute concert. I think I cried for
2: like... Ninety
3: percent of it because I was so <laughs> overwhelmed. It was amazing.
2: What about you, Chichi? Mine is not necessarily one of my favorite artists, but it was just one of the gigs that just blew my mind. It was actually Slow Tie. It was at York Hall, the boxing arena, and it was just so intense. It was just insane. The performance, the structure of it, the kind of story that they told with it. Obviously, he's just nuts anyway with how he performs. But yeah, it was just such a perfect setting for him. Awesome.
1: I'd like to see him live, actually, after all of the chat that <laughs> came
2: out of the enemy Awards, I think it was last year. I know. And the thing with that as well is that I was so shocked by that, but it isn't really anything new. I think sometimes with that like level of just creative talent, you know, you have to take some things as it comes with it, the rough with the smooth.
1: Yeah. What is your best lockdown discovery? We've had some interesting ones here. <laughs> Miranda, go ahead. You mean...
3: Other than RuPaul's Drag Race, which is the best thing I've discovered, <laughs> <laughs> it really got me through January, let me tell you. It's like so sparkly and glittery and wonderful, and the program that everyone needs when the nights are dark. Other than that, I've done a lot of home cooking. It's been really fun, like thinking about meals that I missed from going to like restaurants with friends and like trying to recreate food that I love to varying degrees of success.
2: Chichi, what about you? I think my best lockdown discovery has been candle making. I will um, make you guys one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm going to hold you to that. No, do. It's so simple and I just find it so therapeutic. So I now have, I don't even know how many... I'd say gallons of essential oils in my house. I can just see them over there (laughs) and over there. But um, yeah, I'd say candle making It's really enjoyable. Obviously, at the moment, you're just relaxing so much or trying to take time and, you know, really relax in your home. So it's really helping me to do that.
1: And thirdly, who are you listening to at the moment? We've had some really massive albums come out recently, like Arlo Parks and Slash's new albums dropped and obviously working with some of the biggest songwriters of all time. I'm curious to know who you're listening to.
3: It's funny you say Arlo Parks and not to plug a Sony ATV writer, but that's who I've been listening to recently because that album is just something else. And then I've been kind of going down a nostalgic route at the moment. So I've been listening to a lot of things that remind me of going to festivals. So I've been listening to The Lumineers a lot.
2: I thought Miranda was just gonna say, because you pure rock. I know,
3: I know, it's usually what I do. I mean, I just thought I wanted to like, you know, break the mold a bit. I mean, I am still listening to like a lot of rock, like Royal Blood. Uh, there's a really great band called Cleopatric who I really annoyingly missed last year. And then we went into lockdown and I really regret not going to that gig because <laughs> I couldn't, it was one of those nights where it was cold and I was like, oh, I'm
2: not gonna go. Really regret that now. I'm kind of similar to Miranda. Recently, I've been, it's all been throwbacks. So I've been listening to a lot of like sets, like boiler room sets and just watching them while I'm doing, you know, cleaning, stuff like that. I've been listening to a lot of that. Children of Zeus constantly for me. They're one of my favourite bands or groups. And then I've also kind of veered away from listening to albums start to finish. feel like I've kind of gone more towards playlists that are just specifically about something, which is kind of our bread and butter for our jobs anyway. But just in, you know, my personal life, I listen to Breathpod playlists on Spotify a lot. It's kind of meditative. So, yeah, I'm listening to kind of that type of thing. A lot of ambient electronic music at the moment.
1: Now, we wanted to have both of you on the podcast together, firstly, because you work very closely together as a team, but also because, Chi Chi, you work on the creative side of SYNC, and Miranda, you predominantly have a background in the licensing side. So together, you build quite a nice picture of what SYNC is for our listeners. Starting with Chi Chi, can you give a brief overview of what your role is on the creative side and include a little bit about how that works within the publisher
2: so I am on the creative side as you've said Nikki I'm a senior sync executive so what my role entails is pitching to brief I work specifically on advertising but it works across all different sorts of media types I'll get a brief from a client that would be either a music supervisor or an agency an advertising agency producer. And they would basically specify what they're looking for, or, you know, the realms of what they're looking for, and some of the budget and details like that. So from then, I kind of delve into our catalogue or our current roster, I might reach out to managers that we collaborate with to see if there's anything pre-release that they're working on, or that they've got under their belt, collate these ideas, streamline them and deliver them to the client. And at that stage, the client will then pick some songs if they want to shortlist them and if they do then that's great for us and then maybe go ahead to license and actually use the song the role within a publisher specifically the difference is that we are pitching the copyrights we're pitching in my eyes the words and the music so I might get a brief which is to do with togetherness as a concept and then rack my brains of our catalogue of what songs lyrically work for that And then, you know, the client might then choose to go ahead with that, but re-record it in a different way. So the good thing from a publisher's perspective with Sync is that we're always going to get paid, which is great. So that's how it tends to work in a publisher from my perspective as a creative Sync executive.
1: And Miranda, then you take on the licensing once the tracks have been selected. Tell us a little bit about your side.
3: Yeah, so um, I'm the senior manager within Sync team um although I do do some creative pitching I predominantly do what I would classify as reactionary licensing by that I mean when a client knows what track it is that they want to use within a production and that may be because they know it already or possibly they've had a uh, pitch three from Chi Chi who suggested loads of great tracks and they love one of them and then they want to get a costing for it so within our team of which there's I think 12 or 13. Each person handles a different media. So I handle TV advertising and branded content. So TV advertising is pretty straightforward with what that entails. The branded content element is a little bit more wide in its scope. It's predominantly productions and campaigns that are online. Because of that, it means there's a huge variety of the types of uses that a client will want. Because there's so many different platforms and ways to reach your audience, it can range from a wide-reaching advertising campaign that will include YouTube pre-rolls and advertising spend on Instagram so that's sort of like the higher end of online advertising down to uh, a branded live performance could also be something like a branded TikTok challenge which we've been dealing with a lot more of those in the last year as TikTok has gained more of a foothold in the UK market which you know maybe you've done yourself as you know these dance challenges that you start seeing a more sort of
1: collaboratory with
3: a brand. So those are the sort of types of uses I do.
1: So we're speaking to you about the world of Sync from a publishing perspective. And before we dive into the process of Sync, can you both share a little bit about how you work with other internal teams at Sony ATV? So Chiti, you mentioned um, you know, you have to know the roster really, really well. Um, and so you may often be working with the A&R team.
2: Yeah, I think the A&R team are probably quite happy that they're working from home now, because I think I used to absolutely do everyone's heads in going down to their floor. and. Bothering them for ideas on specific things and now you're completely right i do know the roster quite well uh, alongside the rest of the team everyone who's creatively pitching tends to know the roster pretty well but it doesn't hurt to have the additional kind of input of the a&r team so what we do is If we are pitching for something, we'll send an internal notification round to our A&R team and then they might be able to come back with some ideas of something specific or maybe a writer who's, you know, collaborating on an artist project or something that we might not be completely across just yet or that we haven't had a meeting with them in a few months. So we're not completely across it. So we'll get ideas in through that. But the key way that I really enjoy collaborating with A&R is mainly to do with gigs. So part of our role or part of my role specifically as well is to get down to loads and loads of shows. There's been weeks where Miranda and myself have been literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at gigs with clients or just ourselves. I know those days I was like, oh, we can't do a fourth gig this week. And now I'm like, oh, please
3: let me go, please.
2: (laughs) I miss it so much oh my god but um yeah so that's kind of what we that what we would do is get down to the gigs um maybe bring clients and then let them meet the A&R and then they can discuss the music or the songwriter or the producer from the A&R perspective because I think that really benefits music supervisors to have that background to it as well rather than it just coming from us as a sync perspective to hear from the A&R it's really helpful similarly with the managers it's always great when you can take a client to a gig and a manager can be introduced to them because you're building the relationship from another angle and you know when something is in front of you you're much more likely to let it resonate with you and then maybe start something up further down the line. One of the best ways I've collaborated with a and was we were looking at signing an artist Obviously, as everyone's aware, these things all come with a price tag. So it's all about negotiation and, you know, it has to be viable for the business to make this signing or, you know, to pay this advance or whatever the caveats of the deal would be. So we were looking at signing a writer who I won't say the name, but we we're looking at signing the person and There's a TV show that we were working on also, really, really popular one that a lot of our writers want to get their music into. Took the supervisors down to the gig. We had dinner with the A&R, met the manager, kind of just had a nice time all together, really. And then from that, it stemmed that the supervisors not only wanted to sync the music, they also wanted to give the writer a cameo spot in the TV show. And they were looking at how they could make that work. So aside from it just being great to bag a sync deal for one of our writers, because that's always our priority, it also meant that, you know, we were opening other doors for the writer. It also meant that the supervisors felt connected from the earliest possible stage of the deal. And it also meant for me that I was able to kind of garner from the supervisors that this is a good signing for sync. Because that's often the thing we need to have some background as to whether the stuff that we're signing is going to get synced. Because it's such a financial avenue for Sony ATV.
3: It's interesting that's seen as like an element that managers and writers consider when they sign up to a publisher now. It's important for them to get to know the Sync team. Often our A&R team will get us involved in a early conversation, like Chichi's just been explaining, so that we can explain to a, a writer and a management team what we do as a department, how we can push their music out. And I think it just really speaks to how important Sync has become. It's always been important, but I think it's really been realised in the last sort of couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was reading the other day that think now makes up roughly two and a half percent of the industry's income but I mean that's based on a 2019 stat but given last year and the rise in music being used on news generated content and branded content like live streams that's surely for 2020 will have
2: risen yeah I completely agree I'd say that the rise of Netflix and the streaming services and those types of platforms has really added to that as well not only for the appeal for artists and writers to have their music featured in that but also financially you know a lot of these companies are realizing that it costs to use commercial music and it really benefits their productions to do so
1: yeah it's really being a part of that artist or that writer's journey and, and breaking them and like bringing in the deal for them and then seeing where that takes off so we've talked a little bit about how you work with the other teams now be interesting to go into what the actual sync process is. So what the end-to-end process is from brief to track selection to licensing and closing the deal and how you both work together throughout that process. I think the overall
3: process is very similar across all media types. It's just the lead time that changes. So to give you sort of a brief overview, the client will either not know what song they want, in which case a brief will be sent to Chi Chi, and Chiti will put together a pitch, and then from that, they'll find a song that they love. Alternatively, they already know the track that they want, they know it's Sony ATV, and they'll come to us. So what happens first is, assuming the client knows the song now, either whether it's pitched or they already know what they wanted, the first thing I do is determine what percentage of the track that we have. So we have an internal system that gives us that information. If it's a new track and it hasn't been registered yet, we have the option of speaking to our a and team, our copyright team, if it's a UK signing it's relatively easy to do, if it's a foreign signing we can speak to our affiliate to try and determine whether we represent that writer and what their percentage share is. So assuming we do represent it we then need to ask the client for the terms on which they want to license the song. This is really important when it comes to synchronization licensing with commercial track because other than main body uses for TV, which is rate carded, every other type of use varies vastly depending on a lot of different variables and that can include media type. So it's often good to ask the client, you know, how exactly they're going to use it. Is it a TV programme? Is it an advert? Is it a uh, lyric use in a in a book? There's a lot of different uh, types of use, so it's important to know that too because of every person in the team handles a different area. So. Let's assume it's a TV advert. I'll then need to know the terms, so how long the use is going to be used by the client, uh, the territory of broadcast, where the video is actually gonna go. Uh, Let's assuming it's a video. Obviously it could be any other (laughs) type of use. It could be, like I said, a lyric use um, only on a T-shirt, for example. But basically we need the license terms. So to summarize that, we need the media, the term, the territory, and the context of use. Based on that, we then can provide a quote. The quotes are generated based on a lot of things. A lot of it is experience, so we may have dealt with that particular song before and we know what we've charged for similar uses. We have a licensing system so we can see that. We also have a wealth of knowledge within the team. We speak to each other all the time about our experiences with a particular song, with a particular use. We also have dealt with management teams before, so we know what types of fees Would accept. So, on the basis of all those different things, we provide the client with a quote. This is where there's sometimes a bit of to and fro because, of course, depending on the client's budget, they may say, Yes, that's fine, or No, it's not. And it's this point where there's sometimes a bit of back and forth about whether they're happy with the fee or not. Often not, because that's just the way it goes. Let's assume they're happy with the fee that we put forward. At that point, we go for writer clearance. So, by that I mean we have to go to the representative of the writer that Sony ATV has signed. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's two, but you have to make sure that every single writer that we represent is cleared. So we'll speak to their manager, often it's them directly, about the terms, explain the use to them, and it's at that point that they can either say, Yes, that's fine. No, I don't want to do it. There's lots of reasons why they might say no. It's either a financial or creative issue. Financial is a bit easier to deal with because, of course, you can then go back to the client and say, actually, we need a little bit more money for this. If it's creative, it tends to be a bit more of a problem because that's much more difficult to change. It may be that a writer doesn't want to be aligned with a particular brand, for example. If they're vegetarian, they may not want to do a sync for McDonald's. Often, we know their preferences beforehand. So we can say to a client, no, I really don't think this song is going to work. And in that case, we can suggest alternatives. We're very hesitant, though, to just say no off the bat to our clients because ultimately the prerogative is with the writer to say yes or no. So if we're not entirely sure, we'll send a note to the writer or management team and say, we've had this request in, is it something you'd be interested in? So let's assume that the... Sony ATV writers have said, yes, they're happy with the fee. We will then relay that approval to the client. It's then with the client to say, yes, we want to go ahead with the use. They say, yes, we then will issue the license and invoice paperwork for our pro-rated share. The onus is on the client to clear any other writers on the song that aren't published by Sony ATV, along with the master recording if they're using that. Of course, it's often the case that a client will do their own re-record in order to save money on the master recording. So there's lots of different things a client can do at that point. But from our perspective at Sony ATV, once we've issued the license and invoice paperwork, our job is theoretically done from a sync perspective, other than making sure that the client stays within the remit of the license. For example, they don't go over the term. If it's just a TV advert, making sure that the use isn't online if they haven't sought clearance for that. So yeah, that's uh, pretty much the end-to-end process. There's other little aspects that come in, you know, with the royalty team being involved on the back end, paying the client and things like that. But um, in terms of the sync department end-to-end, I think that's pretty much it. Unless, Chi-Chi, have I, have I missed anything, chi
2: No, I think the only thing that I would add would be at the very initial stages of the process, how the brief even gets kind of on our desks or in front of us. And that tends to be that an advertising agency, again, in the context of advertising, will liaise with the brand, which is their client, they will come to terms with, you know, the idea of what they want, that will then be filtered through a strategist and a producer and then that will then go to a music supervision company who will kind of pull it apart and really really filter down what the client wants because often they might not be talking in musical terms they might just be talking about a feel or an energy that they want so then they'll then filter it down and they will share that across the board with all of the publishers and labels both major and independent so the music supervisor has a massive job in this instance, because if you get 10 songs from all of the majors and then however many indies on, you know, label side and publishing. And then that's when Miranda um, kind of explained from there, basically. So at that stage, everybody will pitch. The music supervisor will fill.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on.
1: So Chichi, you actually also worked agency side in music supervision at BBH when you very first started out and then moved to Massive Music. So you're actually quite familiar with the music supervision side as well. How does working at an agency differ to your role within a publisher?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I've loved all of those places that I've worked equally. I must say, like, sync is just the best area to work in, I think. But the main difference that I have found is the agency that you have. When you work at a publisher's and you're pitching to brief, you're pitching to a music supervisor who, as I said, is then going to collate ideas from all of the different labels and publishers and then filter it down. So that's the the main difference is that you kind of have a lack of agency over what musical choices are made. All you can do is put forward your best suggestions which is great. You get a lot of freedom to be creative. And I'd say that's what the other difference is, is that when you're working at the publisher or the label, specifically, obviously, for me, a publisher, I kind of have a lot of license to be creative with my ideas. I'm not restricted necessarily by anything, whereas a supervisor, especially an in-house agency supervisor, like the wonderful team at Black Sheet Music, you have a lot to answer for within your team and within your organization because you've got the producers, the strategists, the brand, the client, everyone kind of behind you. So I'd say those are the kind of key differences. In terms of process, it's pretty much the same everywhere, but it's been really, really interesting and helpful for me. And I'd encourage anyone who is kind of starting out in sync to try and do some placements or internships across the board of every step of the music supervision process and the sync process. And a couple of projects
1: that you guys have been working on recently. Um, so firstly, there was the Burberry commercial, which Miranda, you worked on last year, which is, features a really cool rework of the Jeannie Kelly classic Singing in the Rain. And it's also really beautifully shot as well in what looks like Brick Lane. So tell us a little bit about what your role was in making that happen
3: Yeah I actually think that was my favourite sync that I worked on last year it just came out so beautifully and the re-record by Drea Mack who's a London based rapper is just amazing I think it added a really kind of fresh and youthful interpretation of a really classic track but that came through to me in maybe September or October of last year. And it was one I worked on for about two months. The agency got in contact with me. They already knew they wanted Singing in the Rain, but they weren't sure on the version that they wanted. We'd already been talking about re-records, but they weren't entirely sure what they wanted. So the initial thing that I started handling was the fee negotiation, because the type of use changed dramatically from the initial use to what it ended up being Um, so initially it was meant to be a much smaller campaign to what it ended up being which was like a huge international advert and I'm really pleased about that Uh, not only for our writers but because I think it deserves to be that. Given the creative, I think given how it ended up, you know, it deserved that platform because it's just beautifully shot. So it ended up being a huge online campaign, but in order to get there, there was a lot of to and fro, like I said, on on the terms, which meant fees that we were putting forward had to be rejigged every time because as I mentioned earlier, sync fees are hugely variable. So for example, the fee difference between, um, let's say, a one year online advertising campaign for a big brand is hugely different in terms of fee from let's say six months on Burberry's Instagram for example huge fee difference so it was a bit of a job sort of trying to work out what would be a fair fee given I mean it's a huge track everyone knows singing in the rain and, and of course Burberry is a internationally recognized brand so that was a lot of to and fro the other bit of the use that was, I really loved was hearing all the re-records that came in. It wasn't a yes first time. So the first re-record that they sent over wasn't the one they went with in the end. I think we ended up backing forthing about maybe, it could have been about 20 re-records that I heard for it. Some of them we ended up saying no to because some tracks have restrictions on them as to how they're re- re-recorded. But it was just really fun kind of getting a little bit more creative in that respect and seeing every edit come through and and seeing how slight changes in the instrumental change the whole feel of the advert. And I think that's really uh, an amazing thing about music cues, how it can really change the vibe of whatever it's up against. So like a film score or a film trailer or a video game, you pick the right music and it can transform the use, and people will remember it. I mean, people. I've spoken to people about the Berber use a lot, because I'm just just really proud of it. Um, I think the other thing to note about that is that that was an advertising campaign, so that took about two months end-to-end. Other types of media can be much longer than that.
1: Did they specifically ask for a re-record, or was that something that you worked with them and kind of felt would be the best fit for the advert?
3: For that one, no, they'd already felt that they wanted something a bit different because the, the Gene Kelly original version, uh, although beautiful, didn't really fit with their brand message, which is, you know, meant to be speaking to, because um, Burberry's been around for a while and their Burberry Trench is a staple and it's been around since, what, like the 60s? But they wanted to sort of revamp that so the idea was kind of tied in with their product message which is something that's old but it's still relevant giving it a modern twist so that's really where the idea for rejigging singing in the rain came from originally they weren't sure what vibe they wanted to give it originally it was going for a different genre style put it that way so some of them were a bit more a Some of them were almost a bit more gospel, which were really beautiful. And who knows, maybe they'll find a place in something else because they were really amazing re-records. But in the end, I think they wanted something that would work better with the dance routine and the flow of the advert. So the song choice was very much married to the choreography. And also, like I said, the brand message, bringing a new lease of life to something new and adding a sort of more youthful interpretation, I suppose.
1: Yeah it's a really beautiful one. The other project which stood out last year is McDonald's I'm Loving It Live Festival which was a virtual three-day event featuring some really big names and it happened over the Halloween weekend so there was Becky Hill performing then we had Stormzy, Stormzy was there, Louis Capaldi. There was something like five or six
3: artists involved and each artist was doing a full set, so 12 songs a piece. And they came to us a week before. Effectively, I had maybe five and a half days to clear upwards of 30 songs. I think it ended up being 45 songs or so in the end um, because, I mean, Sony ATV is a huge catalog and we had a lot of writers, which is great because it's like, you know, we, we want to be involved in those sort of things. But basically for five, six days, I was just trying to make sure that um, the fees were right. Because often what happens is, I think when brands try and go into an area that they're not necessarily familiar with. I mean, obviously McDonald's advertised, but they haven't done a live performance before. So I kind of think they thought the managers are saying yes, as in the artist managers saying yes, everything's fine. Obviously that's not the case because it doesn't necessarily follow that every artist writes 100% of the song. There's writers involved that have to be cleared and they may be signed to a variety of different publishers and each one of those publishers has to be contacted and fees have to be negotiated. So they came to us quite late in the day, so we had to kind of run to catch up to make sure that the fees were fair, given the use, um, and that the terms were fair, What we often find, uh, and it's not just with McDonald's use, clients will ask for everything with not a huge budget. There's a lot of back and forth trying to um, ensure that the terms, like I was saying before, terms are fair, fees are fair. It ended up as a really, I think, great use, particularly at the time, because I think people are hungry for live performances because, I mean, I don't know when the last time I went to a gig was. Actually, I think it was with you, Chi-Chi. I think in March. Um, Before, like a week before lockdown was the last one and I know that I'm sort of definitely missing them and I think these sort of branded use is a really nice way of getting a live performance in front of an audience but also allowing the artist and the writers to be paid because obviously a lot of these people would otherwise be getting either a touring income or also performance revenue is going to be much lower this year because you don't have restaurants and pubs and venues playing live music so i think they're really interesting uses i'm certainly getting more of them like i'm probably getting about five times more branded live performance uses now than i did before
1: yeah and make it more interactive with the fans and with the artist as well going into breaking into the industry sync in particular chiji this one's you because you had quite an interesting way into sync through the she said so mentorship scheme which you're also their mentorship manager now so tell us a little bit about
2: how that came about definitely the first thing I'd say on that is no matter what stage in your career you're at if you don't have a mentor already try to find that relationship because it's so key and so crucial to have somebody that can not only help you achieve your goals, set them, but to have a listening ear and have a wealth of experience behind them. So my kind of journey was that I did an internship at Black Sheep Music BBH. So I was working there, really enjoying it, loving it. They couldn't keep me on, unfortunately. So I kind of was at that period which most people have had in their career when you just feel like you're so passionate about something, but, you know, how do you get to the next step? How do you get to the next stage? And the pilot scheme of She Grows, She Said So's mentorship scheme, was just about to start. So I applied for it. I kind of expressed where I was at, what I needed help with. And they paired me with Sharon Dean, the former head of the PRS. And I couldn't possibly have asked for a better pairing and a better mentor. She was absolutely amazing. The key ways that it helped me to kind of develop my career was to know my worth and know what I expect of an organisation in much the same way of what they expect of me was practical kind of elements in terms of negotiating salary, figuring out how best to interact with people around and have these conversations because that's not something you get taught. So that was really important for me and um, it kind of helped me to decide what area I wanted to be in. Um, after I left Blacksheet Music I went to Massive Music which is again an international music supervision organisation and I loved it there but part of me felt like a little bit insecure in you know my role because I was on a rolling contract. I felt like what's the best thing for me at the time and having talked through these feelings with my mentor I was able to decide that when I had the offer from Sony TV that the security and the name was more in line with what I was after. So that kind of really helped me. As I said, initial stages I was one of the first mentees. Since then I was a mentorship manager for the scheme. I'm now a mentee trainer, so I help the mentees figure out what's the best way for them to get the most out of their experience. And I do a lot of work with them on their panels and discussions and that type of thing, which is just such a nice environment to be in. It's just amazing. I've met so many amazing people through the scheme.
1: It's interesting what you say about learning about what you want from a company versus what you can give them. Because I think so often we can go in and apply for jobs or even just go for a coffee with people. And we're so earnest in what we want them to give us rather than, you know, it being a two-way relationship. And one thing that I've noticed is, that in terms of breaking into the industry and having an academic background, having gone to uni and things, you both have a law degree. Working in sync and working in copyrights and all of the paperwork that goes into that, do you think it's been beneficial for you to have done that degree in particular?
3: I would say yes, definitely. For me personally, i found that it's given me attention to detail that i use literally every day even in just in terms of client negotiation making sure that you are really aware of every little nuance of the deal it's really important obviously it means that you can read the contracts and understand them when you're papering the license and when we're speaking with our legal team for any changes or amendments it's really helpful to understand what they mean and so it kind of means that I've always felt that I can get amendments done a little bit quicker because I am kind of going in there with a little bit of knowledge. That being said, I wouldn't say it's essential that you have to have had a legal background in order to go into sync. In fact, I think Chi and I are the only two in our department who do have that background. There's so many different people in our team and I think that's really the strength of our team we're not all lawyers, we're people who love music and who uh, want to represent our writers in the best way possible and I think we all bring different
2: skills to the table. No, exactly that. I think from my perspective on the creative arm, yeah, the degree doesn't really help me in the exact same way that Miranda's does. What it does help me with is to be able to filter a lot of information down to exactly what someone wants. A lot of what we kind of do when we're studying law is to be able to streamline something and that's really the kind of way that I'd see that it helps me. I'd say the most important thing in terms of background going into the music industry, specifically in a publisher, is relationships. How do you deal with people? How can you build relationships? Um, so yeah, any type of experience, work experience or internships that you can do, I'd say I'd favour higher than a degree, personally.
1: What are the three things that you have both learnt in your career that you would want listeners to take away I feel like
2: I
3: had the ability like I was a really hard worker but I was very shy or at least I was just I was just quite nervous because it was like my first job at EMI Music Publishing my first full-time job and it was really exciting and everyone else just seemed to just know everything and I was like oh my god what's happening this sounds so cheesy but my dad was like just be yourself you're good enough and, and I basically sort of went in and thought, you know what, you just have to back yourself and trust in yourself. And I was like, you know what, I can do this. There's a reason why I'm here. I love music. I've wanted to work in the music industry since I was like 11 and I'm here, enjoy it. I just, yeah, I just had to have confidence in myself And then literally backing yourself is also important. This is a very like literal thing that I think people should always do. And anytime I've trained anyone in the sync department, I think I've always said this, which is always be super clear and concise in every single email you send. So there's never any room for like confusion, interpretation. Always make sure you back up a telephone call with a client, for example, with an email. Um, Basically, I think it's just standard business practice, but I think it's just worth repeating that you need to back yourself in terms of your confidence, but you also need to remember that you're there as part of the business and to be professional and other people are trying to do the same too and just make sure that everything, like all the, what's that expression? The dot dot the I's and cross the T's, you know, (laughs) all of those metaphors, bring them into play Um, That's probably my legal training coming to play there about making sure, but it's really, you know, helped me a lot over the years in instances where otherwise I may have been in some issue because a client was maybe questioning a deal, but because I had a paper chain, I'd been really careful to make sure was, you know, everything was in place. It meant that, you know, the deal went ahead as I expected it to, and there was no surprises. You know, that's not always the way a deal goes, but
2: if there's anything you can do to help it along, I'd, I'd say that.
1: Chi Chi, anything that you want to add to that?
2: I would probably just reiterate as my main point to have a sounding board, have a mentor, um, have that relationship that you can kind of hold yourself accountable to. You know, when you're setting goals, when you're thinking about your career, I don't think it's about knowing I want to be at this stage at this time. I think it's just about knowing that you're going in the right direction towards what you want to achieve. My other point would be have something else aside from your job that you can bring to the table, like whether that be, you know, initiatives within your organisation to help the younger people in the organisation or bring in things to do with mental health, awareness, you know, just making sure that the environment is kind of as supportive to everyone as possible because the music industry is amazing and so fun to work in but there's a lot expected of us and there's a lot expected of everyone involved so I think we have to look out for our health and um, our well-being and you know have a really supportive environment as much as we can.
1: So quickly just to wrap up um, what is the best advice anyone has ever given you?
2: The best advice anyone has ever given me was my granddad who is Irish and he said when everyone else is walking you need to run and that always stuck with me for various reasons. One I'd say because I'm a woman, secondly I'd say because I'm a person of colour and thirdly I'd say just because my granddad came from a very working class background he didn't have any education and he knew what it meant to kind of give it 100%. So that's definitely been the best advice that anyone's ever given me and I'll try to follow it as much as I can every day.
3: What about you, Miranda? Probably what I was talking about earlier
2: from a dad, which is just like,
3: believe in yourself, trust in yourself. And again, it comes back to just having confidence in in yourself is, it can be really difficult, particularly when you're starting out. If you're trying to break into something and you've just left school or, or uni or an apprenticeship, to be honest, even at any age. And I think it's just a really important thing to try and... Feel like you are worthy of being somewhere and you're good enough to be there
2: because you are.
1: And finally, if listeners want to connect with you, where is the best place that they can find you?
2: LinkedIn, please. Connect with me. Feel free to reach out to me. And I'd also say if there is an area of the industry that you're interested in and you see somebody who's doing well in that, who you'd like to talk to, reach out to them, ask them for a virtual coffee Um, Because nine times out of ten, someone will say yeah, and you can really gain a lot from it. So don't be shy. Yeah, and LinkedIn for me as well. And
3: like Chichi was saying, most people would be willing to just have a chat, even if it's just like you know a couple of messages over LinkedIn or a call. Most people are happy to talk about what they do and how they got there, and I think that sort of information will be really useful. I mean, everyone's journey into an industry differs, but you can learn things from how they got there
1: the mellow compass podcast is produced by the wonderful rosie bennett to keep updated on the latest episodes hit like and subscribe and we'll see you
0: next time